Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Welcome to High Trust Today, the podcast. I'm on a quest to help people win in business and in life. To do that, I know they must trust themselves, their relationships, their business, and they most certainly must trust their future. When you do that, you set in motion a universe of possibilities, and that journey begins right now. Hi, this is Todd Duncan. I'm in Cancun, Mexico. I'm at the Ritz-Carlton Resort down here in Cancun. We've had a wonderful week with about 160 leaders that have come from all over the country that are in the mortgage profession, and we've gathered here in this beautiful place to learn how to be really effective as leaders. We've had a, a grand time. We've had a lot of fun, a lot of celebration, and we're concluding our time with this month's Selling Edge lesson, and I want to talk to you as salespeople in this business. I want to talk to you as leaders in this business about the absolute importance of listening in your career. And as I thought about the idea for this month's lesson, it dawned on me that with the success of High Trust Selling as a book, making several bestseller lists, one of the things that we are hearing from people is that what is giving them real lift in their business is this idea of, of how to become a great trust builder. And as I was thinking with my writer, Brenton, thinking about some of the things that really went into building trust, we asked ourselves, you know, what are the things that, that if you do well, just create kind of a natural byproduct called trust. And one of the things at the top of our list was listening. And as we began to, to kind of go through, you know, could you build a whole lesson around that? We got clearer and clearer that you could. And so we're going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you for the next 50 minutes or so about how do you become a great listener? And the thesis for this lesson is that listening is one of the most important skills in the sales profession. Without it, you will not succeed at the level you otherwise could. When we think about listening, we don't really think of it as a skill that you learn, maybe. We don't really think of it as some kind of thing that you're going to learn from studying a tape or this or that. Listening is something we do all the time. In fact, we do it so often that we don't know how to do it really well. And so what I want to do is give you some statistics that will kind of blow your mind on listening as a discipline, if you will. And these are eye-openers. They come from the International Listening Association. And here are uh, six or seven things that are critically important as we start our lesson out. 85% of what we know, we have learned by listening. Now, so if you just look at the other side of that, 15% of what we have learned, we've probably learned either by doing or by experience. So much of what we end up executing in our life and much of what we do is because of listening. 75% of the time we are supposed to be listening, we are distracted or preoccupied or forgetful. 45% of our waking hours are spent listening. That's amazing when you stop and think about that. We only remember 20% of what we hear. You know, now let me, you can already make the bridge here. You know, if you're going to be a great salesperson and you learn things that you're supposed to learn from your clients and from your peers, you better have some resource to keep track of that because 80% of it's going to go away. What a startling statistic. Less than 2% of professionals have had formal educational experiences with listening. Rarely do you find necessarily an entire course built around listening. Rarely do people sign up for the book on listening. I mean, it's all about the, the stuff that is easy to understand. We can sell more. We can lead better, you know. But all that is inherent within growth as a professional can be founded upon this great skill of listening. I love this one. We listen at 125 to 250 words per minute, but we think at 1,000 to 3,000 words per minute. So what happens with your capacity 
to think at 1,000 to 3,000 and only listen at 125 to 250. That's a big gap that we have to deal with. A great quote that we found in putting this lesson together is from Calvin Coolidge, and he said it takes a great man to be a great listener, a great woman to be a great listener. And, boy, I hope that you get that by the time that we're done with this lesson. A couple other thoughts here. Uh, this author is unknown. You know how many unknown authors there are? You know, how many anonymous quoters there are? I love this. Opportunities are often missed because we are broadcasting when we should be listening. Now, that one thought there in the sales business, in the mortgage business, is worth six figures a year. Right there, if we just stop and realize that most salespeople are spending their time broadcasting instead of listening is a fiscal discernible opportunity that we have got to get our arms around. Whether we're a, a leader listening to this or whether we're a sales professional listening to this, this is huge. Kenneth Wells, an expert on listening, says that a good listener tries to understand thoroughly what the other person is saying. In the end, he may disagree sharply, but before he disagrees, he wants to know exactly what it is he is disagreeing with. So as I think about my role, helping all of you and maybe navigate smart choices as you learn more and more about how to be productive and more and more about how to be profitable, is to remind you of some of the mistakes that you make. And I think that one of the big mistakes is the mistake that I simply would like you to continue in your notes, too much talking, not enough listening. And as you think about that, you think about maybe your role here uh, as a sales professional in the industry. You think maybe your role outside of the industry as a maybe as a parent, as a friend to many. And one of the great skill sets of all life mastery, which would include business mastery, is the skill set of listening. And I think that what is critically important about this is where is your motive? It doesn't matter whether or not you're a new originator. It doesn't matter whether you're brand new to the car business. It doesn't matter whether you're a, you know, a new salesperson that's just out of college and you're just starting off. It doesn't matter if you're a seasoned veteran and you've never really gotten this. Everybody who talks too much does not listen enough. And when we think about the power of listening, we have to think about how to do it. Ernest Hemingway said, most people never listen. And what a profound truth that is. I remember years ago, my wife and I had a chance to go on a cruise with her mom and dad and my mom and dad. And, and I remember Cheryl's mom, every single day, it seemed that no matter where I saw her on the cruise ship, she was engaged in conversation with a stranger. And it was amazing to me that as I went around and, and each time, and it was easily two times a day, I would see her engaged in conversation with somebody who she had not to the point of the cruise beginning known was going to be there. I watched her, and she asked questions, and she just sat back and listened. And I asked her early into our cruise, you know, why she does that, and she said, I'm fascinated with people. Recently, you may have seen in USA Today, there's two women that are up in New York City, and they're camping out, and they're camping out because all they want to do is hear from New York City. And there's a plaque in front of the place they sit, and it says, tell me your story. And USA Day went on to explain the fact that these gals had this initial idea that they wanted to create stories from New York. And they went up for one week to test this. And it was unbelievable how many people wanted to stop and tell them their story. Well, obviously, the people that are telling the story are the talkers. And obviously, if you're going to hear the story, you have to be the listener. But so profound was it, they decided to spend the entire summer there this year gathering stories. And who knows what they're going to do with them, but there's a little research there. There's a potential book there. But it's amazing. 
that you can listen by design if you put yourself in that mode. The irony here is that if you are to sell well, which is the whole reason why we're glad that you're part of the Selling Edge system, if you're going to sell well, you have to be a great listener. And to be a great listener, you have to have a process that guarantees that you listen. I don't know if any of you have experienced this. I'm sure you all have. But, you know, it's interesting how many times you watch people attempting to sell you something that do not even have a process for listening. Recently, Amy and I were in our office in San Diego, and a guy walked through the door and immediately blurted out, I just came in from a business down the street. We were just doing something down there with some decorating, and we're actually from Arizona, and I've got, I've got some Ansel Adams paintings that are left over, and I'm just kind of walking the halls here and seeing if you'd be interested. And immediately he was shut down. We said no, and he went on presumably to the next door. Well, not only was there not one ounce of listening until the very end when we said we're not interested, there was no process to even determine whether or not we might be interested before he engaged in this process. To sell well means you can't talk, okay, unless it is part of a design process to learn, all right? I uh, recently, oh, probably 10 or 11 months ago, was vacillating between a decision on one of two new cars. And I remember that one of the dealerships that I reached out to was a, a dealership that represented one brand of the car. And, and a dealership was that I also reached out to was a dealership that I'd used previously for my other car. And I was really, really vacillating between you know either one of these cars. And the reason why I chose not to go with the new brand was because even though the salesperson for this dealership was incredibly good at following up, in the three times that he did, there was not an intentional process to engage me into a deep understanding of what I needed to have in the car that I was you know, presumably going to be buying from him. And if I stop watched most of our conversation, what I found and what I would find and what you would find is that more of it was about him pitching and telling than any of it was about him learning and listening. And so we all have stories. You probably can think of one or two right now. You can probably think of the proverbial call at home in the middle of dinner from somebody who is trying to pitch something to you and they immediately start down this path of telling you why they're calling and your whole deal for the next 60 seconds is trying to figure out what, how to interrupt them to tell them you're not interested. And, uh, and so we have a process of selling poorly that gets in the way from even having an awareness of what it is we might be able to learn through listening. And so I'm going to show you how we bring those things together in a tactical and meaningful way. Well, one of the questions that Brent and I asked as we were putting this lesson plan together is, you know, why are salespeople by and large poor listeners? You know, why are they? And, and I think one of the reasons why they're poor listeners is that they lack purposeful call confidence. Okay, and I'd like you to write that in your notes, and, and let me explain it a little bit if I can. If a salesperson lacks purposeful call confidence, which is making a call with purpose in a confident state of mind, they by default will have to be nervous when they make the call. And anybody who is nervous in the midst of making a call cannot listen effectively. So if I work with leaders, I tell them that you absolutely have to get your salespeople to build their call confidence. Part of having call confidence is having a purpose in which and for which you're making a call. But if a salesperson lacks purposeful call confidence, they will be a poor listener. A second reason why salespeople are poor listeners is they are too focused on making the sale. 
And again, we believe very strongly that a sale being made is the byproduct of a process that endears trust. But if a salesperson is too focused on making the sale, as was the case in both the car example and the guy selling the paintings, they will not be good listeners and may even not intentionally put themselves in a position to learn and to listen. So if I'm working with leaders, I tell them, make sure your salespeople realize that a successful order or a successful sales call is the byproduct of a successful sales practice, which is when I get there, what am I doing to cause the kind of trust that from that comes the sale? A third reason why salespeople are poor listeners is they haven't effectively managed what we call thought speed. Thought speed is a very, very, very important thing for us to consider. We hear it between 125 and 250 words a minute, but we think at between 1,000 and 3,000 words a minute. If any of you have ever been maybe in church on the weekend or uh, you know involved in some gathering, and I find this fascinating because it happens oftentimes to me in church, the pastor's delivering his or her passionate message to you, and you know you're thinking about everything you got to do after church is over. All right. And so you're hearing part of what's going on and then you're thinking because you can think so much faster than you can listen. And and then all of a sudden he makes some profound statement like, and you're going to go to hell and you come right back in. And, you, you know, you go, what did I miss? You know, oh, I got can you just back up? I got to buy the tape of the sermon just to make sure I didn't miss, you know, a key ingredient here. You know, it's so funny because in a sales call, we're thinking this way. In sales calls, salespeople are involved in the sales call, but they have such a capacity to think so far ahead of where they actually are that they miss the buying signals in the present. And so we've got to really become disciplinary as to how we focus the brain while we're actually using the ears. A fourth reason why salespeople are poor listeners is they default to presumptive solutions. And a presumptive solution is too soon in the sales call, they think they have the answer. And when they think they have the answer too soon in a sales call and they go there by default, they automatically shut down listening because they're now thinking about number two, which was making the sale. So salespeople, by and large, have to understand that you must discipline yourself to not presume you have all the answers and to not presume because you think maybe you've heard one thing that you have a solution for that it's time to what? Go there permanently. Listening is active. It's not reactive. It's something that we have to absolutely do by design. And then number five, and this is of paramount importance, salespeople are poor listeners because they don't have an intentional, disciplined, questioning protocol. They don't have an intentional, discipline, questioning protocol. And by that, I simply mean that they have really kind of succumbed to what I call the monologue trap, all right? When a salesperson has an intentional, discipline, questioning process, they become great listeners because the process is designed to gain information. But until a salesperson realizes that all sales advancement is about dialogue, they will fall into the trap of monologue. When they're in the trap of monologue, it is impossible to listen. If we take a look at your notes, it suggests that because most salespeople are poor listeners, they rush into a self-serving monologue right away. But the problem is that imposing a canned monologue with prospects conveys something entirely different about your selling personality and motives than when you simply initiate an authentic dialogue. Take a look at the differences between what each conveys. We have a dialogue with listening. 
We have a monologue without listening. A dialogue with listening is considerate. A monologue without listening is presumptuous. A dialogue with listening is opportunistic. A monologue without listening is egotistic. A dialogue with listening is authentic. A monologue without listening is phony. A dialogue with listening is transparent. A monologue without listening is underhanded. A dialogue with listening is professional. A monologue without listening is showy. A dialogue with listening is interested in meeting needs. And the monologue without listening is basically interested in making money. The beautiful thing about dialoguing with listening is that it builds trust. And the unfortunate thing about monologuing without listening is it builds tension. So if I'm a leader and I want my salespeople to make more sales, and if I'm a salesperson and I want to make more sales, I have to understand immediately that it's always going to be about stepping up the dialogue. And the dialogue is a two-way street, and out of that dialogue comes trust. And the reason why trust comes out of that dialogue is because you have listened clearly to what information has been shared. So we really have two issues going on as we go through this lesson. The first issue that is going on is the issue of, do I have a disciplined intentional questioning process? The second is, am I hearing what is being said during that process? Leaders must have the same kind of conversation with their salespeople as we would want salespeople to have with their prospects. And so we have to then ask ourselves, I believe, what the issue is with listening. Why is it important in selling? And I have found that in talking literally with thousands of salespeople, they don't really come up with, you know, concrete answers. You know, it's generally a little bit superficial. And so let me see if I can take us just a little bit deeper on this. Listening is important in selling because it is a means for connecting with a customer. You have heard it said before, it may have been said so many times that you feel it's trite, but nobody, nobody, no customer at all cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And one of the things that's critical about listening is it allows any person, sales or otherwise, to connect with the customer. I think that it's important also to recognize that listening is a means for ascertaining, and that ascertaining is a, a verb. It's an active word in selling. The job of a salesperson is to ascertain, to gain the values, the desires, and the needs of prospects. And so if I'm able to, as a salesperson, do a better job of ascertaining the values and the desires and the needs of prospects, then I'm going to be able to excel in connecting with the customer, which was the first point. If I don't know the values and desires and needs, I can't connect with the customer, and therefore then this is a moot point. I won't be able to listen to anything anyway. The third thing of why it's important is it means to determine whether or not you have buy-in with the prospect. I mean, if I'm not listening, I'm not aware of whether or not you're buying into this. If I am listening, then I am aware. I can see it in your eyes, and I can feel it in our conversation. So it's a means to determine whether we have buy-in with the prospect. Fourthly, it's a, it is a means for confirming the right time to ask for the business. What I have found is that if somebody is actively listening, they're going to get buying signals from their prospect that will let them know that this is the time for you to consider you know, asking me if it's time to go into a business relationship. And so when we think about listening and we think about a sales call, we need to understand that one of the values of listening is it tells us when it's time to consummate the transaction. But if we're not listening, obviously, we don't have that on our radar screen. 
and this is profound for everybody listening to this, and if you're a leader listening to this, this is even more profound. One of the things I talk about in my brand new book, which will be out in January, it's entitled Killing the Sale, the 10 Fatal Mistakes Salespeople Make and How to Avoid Them, is the idea that you know you need to really kind of think about things differently in selling. And far too often we sit here and we try and learn how to manage objections or learn how to uh, overcome objections. And the beautiful thing about one of the things we teach in the new book is the art of objection prevention. Okay, So it is a means to eliminate objections. And I think that I would park on this one for a while if I were a sales manager, because the beautiful thing about being a sales manager is your job is to help your salespeople succeed. And if your salespeople are succeeding, they feel better about who they are. And if they feel better about who they are, then they'll do a better job selling for themselves and on your behalf. What would happen if your salespeople could completely eliminate the objections they receive? What if they could be so disciplined at an intentional questioning process backed by substantial listening skills that the objections that they get right now in any phase of doing business were eliminated by, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 percent? Man, that'd be huge because nobody signs up in the morning for a bunch of objections. You know, everybody would love to have those out of the way. And since everybody sells, this also applies to all of our support teams. This applies to everybody who's supporting the sales force. But what I have found, again, is that most people are so interested in the agenda of moving the product that they are extremely poor in the discipline of listening. I'll tell you a story. Years ago, I was referred to a, a guy. His name is Tom, and he owned a travel agency. And I was referred to him by a guy that was a friend of mine. And so the setup for this meeting was easy. It was by referral. And I remember sitting down, and Tom began to tell me about his travel agency. He began to tell me how long they'd been in business. He began to tell me what their annual sales were. He began to tell me, because of the volume of travel that my firm was doing, that I would probably be in his premier group. He began to tell me the things that I would get by being in his premier group, things like I would have a 24-7-800 number for emergencies, things like I would be able to have access to a directory and to a CD that would give me the reference points for 72,000 different hotels in America, that if I ever got stuck, I could just go ahead and go to this resource and, and get it. I'd be able to get quarterly financial reports that uh, he felt would be really important to me. And he went on and on and on and on and on, and we were about 15 or 16 minutes into this thing. And he said, for as long as you are a premier account of ours, we'll make you an unlimited supply of luggage tax. And right from that point, he then transitioned and he said, so, Todd, what we're basically here to do today is to ask you for your business. And by this point, my arms are crossed and I look him in the eyes and I say, Tom, I'm not very motivated to give it to you. And he responded with a really thought out comment. And it was this. I could tell. Now, I'm sitting here, imagine, I'm sitting here with my arms crossed. He asked me for the business. I look at him, and I tell you, I'm not very interested in giving it to you. And he says, I could tell. And I said, how long ago could you tell? And this was his exact comment, about five minutes into our conversation. And I just paused, and I looked at him, and I said, Tom, we haven't had a conversation. He looked puzzled. You know, like, uh, like, you know, he turned his head kind of sideways like a dog learning a new, you know, what do you, you know, ear up, you know, head cocked. We haven't had a conversation. He said, what do you mean? Now, let me just paint the picture for you. This is a travel agency that is successful. 
Okay. Reportedly, they were a $17 million a year company. This guy is the president. They're succeeding without a strategy. They're succeeding without knowing how to sell. I'm presuming if the guy at the top doesn't know how to sell, that everybody follows him and they probably don't know how to sell. And so I'm sitting here thinking about the industries that the Duncan Group serves and how many people are, quote, getting business that don't know how to sell. How many people are getting orders and and they don't know how to sell? How many are out there just, you know, with the monologue shuffle and they're getting business and they don't know how to sell? And I'll never forget Tom, you know, a successful business, but he doesn't know how to sell. How long ago could you tell? Five minutes into our conversation. We haven't had a conversation. He looks confused. I say, let me help. All right. And so I just simply said to him a series of questions. And I said, Tom, tell me what airline I like to fly. Didn't know. Tom, tell me what my number one hotel of choice is, given a city that I have to stay in. Didn't know. I simply asked him, let me ask you a question. Do I like corner rooms or center rooms? He didn't know. Do you think I'm a king size kind of guy, bed wise, or am I a, you know, I prefer two doubles just to, you know, you know, have room to stack stuff. You know, he doesn't know. Do I want a smoking floor or non-smoking floor? And the point I want to make to you, and you're already going there and you know this, and yet as a salesperson, it is happening all the time. I teach it and I have to discipline myself to not do what Tom did. All right. And he didn't know anything about my needs. He had no clue about anything. I said to him, I said, I don't need financial reports. My clients reimburse me for my travel. I'm not interested in even looking at those. I don't want a directory. I don't have time. I expect the hotel to work that you set up. I don't want an emergency number. You know, I don't want to even go through that. I prefer no emergencies exist because we've got a well-planned out trip. I know that they will, but you know, I don't know that I want to call your number. And, And then I looked at him and I said, and this might blow you away, but I don't need any luggage tags. And I just don't need them. You know, the fact that you offered them to me, thanks very much, but it's not going to get me to say, yeah, let's do business together. And yet, you know, you ought to see how many luggage tags your salespeople are offering. You ought to see if you're a listener to this right now, how many times you're out there just kind of throwing things out and seeing what's going to work. It's profoundly stupid to master the monologue. And yet it's happening everywhere in America There's over four and a half million salespeople in this country that by professional designation are salespeople and very few of them know how to listen. And so we look at Larry Wilson, a great author, a great guy. He uh, has written several great books on selling. Spencer Johnson, you know, one of Ken Blanchard's writing partners, he says the best salespeople are great listeners. That's how they find out what the buyer wants. You might want to asterisk, that's worth an increase in business of 25% a month. If you just start asking and listening, you can watch any business explode in productivity by that percentage if everybody gets on board with what? Listening well. Okay, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, conversation enriches the understanding. High trust selling, and by then definition and association, high trust listening is all about what? Conversation. And in the sales business, if you don't have a design process to engage in conversation, then you're not in the position of listening. So let's go down this path. Conversation is king. When you alter your selling approach from persuading to relating, you open the door to a sea of sales possibilities. That's because people don't put trust in sales pitches, and they probably never will. They put trust in 
empathetic, sincere people who listen. So what I want to do is I want to help you as a sales professional master a discipline questioning process. The importance of this in our time together is to understand that if you don't have a discipline questioning process, it's impossible to be an effective listener because the response to those who don't have a questioning process is they've mastered the monologue. The gateway to effective listening is as follows. In every piece of research my company has conducted, every live field call on which we have gone, every observation between buyer and seller that we have made, the ability to ask meaningful, well-thought-out questions has been integral for establishing a lasting, lucrative sales relationship. In fact, every successful salesperson we've observed, coached, and or tracked has demonstrated that he or she, fill this in, has questions written and thought out in advance of meeting with the prospect. So if you're a sales professional right now, one thing I would do immediately is I would never make another sales call without having a series of questions written and thought out in advance of meeting with a prospect. Ultimately, by having those questions written and thought out in advance of meeting with a prospect, you would develop a routine of questioning that you would no longer then need the questions written out. But at the very start, we have found that almost every salesperson that comes through some of the high-trust stuff has got to take something into the field with him or with her that helps him or her stay on course with this process. Okay. Secondly, we have found that they have a protocol or a order, a strategy, if you will, for how and when to ask the questions. In other words, you just don't randomly start asking questions and firing away and seeing what information you can get. There is a protocol for how to ask and when to ask the varying different kinds of questions. Number three, we have found that he or she has a different questioning process for determining the potential of a relationship than actually for securing and sustaining the relationship. So there is one set of questions at the very front end on the potential of the relationship. And then as the relationship develops, there are entirely different questioning processes for securing and sustaining the relationship. Number four, they've had an ongoing questioning process to ensure client satisfaction and relationship growth. So the reason why we want to have a discipline process at the front end is so that we can create an incredible opportunity at the front end to have a customer that stays with us forever. But in order to make sure that they stay with us forever, we can't just listen once. We must listen forever. So therefore, then there is a process to ensure client satisfaction and relationship growth. We know that they ask questions for the purpose of customizing solutions. We know that the greatest salespeople are not in this position where one solution fits all. The greatest salespeople in high trust selling realize that they are in the solutioning business and the solutioning business is a byproduct of being a great listener and you can't listen without asking the right questions. And so finally, they ask questions for the purpose of meeting needs. Now, I know that as you listen to this, this might sound at some time or some point a little basic. But again, here's what we know. We've been on over 2,500 field sales calls. I've personally gone out in the field and rode shotgun with over 850 salespeople. And I will tell you this, it is mind-boggling to see how much of this is not happening. So what I ask you to do as a person listening to this is if you're a leader, I would ask you to ask yourself, do your salespeople – 
have this as their primary thought process. Engage with them and ask them, you know, hey, tell me about how you listen when you're on a sales call. Tell me about some of your greatest frustrations when you go out on a call. Tell me what some of the things are that make you nervous when you're on a call. Tell me what some of the reasons are why people have said no to you, why maybe you wish they had said yes to you. And as a leader, you have to start to infiltrate the lack of discipline, the lack of process, and the lack of strategy for your people. Otherwise, they're going to continue to do well what doesn't work. Okay, If you're a salesperson, right now go through the last three weeks of the calls you made. Go through and, and think about every call that didn't work out quite how it had been intended. You had hoped that it would work out. And ask yourself, what went wrong? And I'm going to tell you right now, in almost every case, a sale that isn't made is a sale that isn't made because of lack of connection. And when connection doesn't happen, it's because questions haven't been asked. And the only way connection can occur is through questions that are asked where listening is where the empathic, high-trust connection takes place. And so when we think about this, we think about a disciplined questioning process. Every salesperson on the planet that wants to succeed at a high level, and by modeling everyone that is succeeding, has this process. Here's some thoughts that go along with it. A disciplined questioning process has the following characteristics. Number one, it will always have an appreciation for the prospect's time. So as part of the discipline and part of the questioning process, all great salespeople demonstrate an appreciation for the prospect's time. Now, let me just say this is not some hollow statement, thank you for your time. The very fact that they ask the right questions and the very fact that they're empathic in how they listen demonstrates actively their appreciation for the time. There's nothing wrong with saying it, but obviously we want it backed by the right action. A disciplined questioning process has a statement of impact, a statement of impact. And that is something that at the very front end engages the client. And if salespeople want to sell well on a sales call, at a live sales call, in the field or on the telephone, they need a statement of impact. And then thirdly, they need a transition to the questioning process. They need a transition to the questioning process. Otherwise, they tend to get uh, pulled into a conversation in which they don't control with the client. So here's some examples, depending on what you sell. And we can't obviously hit all the different sales products that people sell. But if you're selling sales training services, okay, you might usher in a disciplined questioning process like this. Mr. Smith, I really appreciate your time and I'm thankful that Debbie asked us to get together. A lot of people think I'm in the business of selling sales training systems to companies, but I really don't see it that way at all. I see my goal as helping my clients achieve the highest level of success possible with effective leadership and sales rep productivity. And my experience has shown me that I can do a better job helping you achieve maximum leadership and sales rep productivity if I know what's important about the success of your training to you. So, Mr. Smith, help me understand. And there's the question, what's important to you about successful sales training systems? That's a statement of impact and then an automatic transition to the questioning process. If you're in the office equipment business selling copiers, you might usher in a disciplined questioning process like this. Mr. Smith, I really appreciate your time, and I'm thankful that Debbie asked us to get together. A lot of people think I'm in the business of selling copiers to my clients, but I really don't see it that way at all. I see my real goal is helping my clients achieve the highest level of success possible with the copiers they invest in, protecting their images, and boosting their quality while minimizing their costs. My experience has shown me I can do a better job meeting your needs if I know what's important about these issues and the role of your copiers. So 
Mr. Smith, help me understand what's important to you about the copy machines you're considering purchasing. If you're a financial planner, you might usher in a discipline questioning process like this. Mr. Smith, I really appreciate your time, and I'm thankful that Debbie asked us to get together. A lot of people think I'm in the business of simply creating financial plans, but I really don't see it that way at all. I see my real goal is helping my clients achieve the highest level of financial success possible by helping them integrate an overall plan for managing their money, minimizing their expenses, and maximizing their cash flow. My experience has shown me I can do a better job doing that if I know what's important to financial success to you. So the question then continues. If you're a mortgage lender, you might use a disciplined questioning process like this. Mr. Smith, I really appreciate your time, and I'm thankful that Debbie asked us to get together. A lot of people think I'm in the business of doing loans, but I really don't see it that way at all. I see my primary role is helping my borrowers integrate the mortgage loans they select and their overall long and short-term financial and investment goals, while also meeting their payment, equity, and cash flow objectives. My experience has shown me. So as I just relate these scripts to you, if you will, every salesperson who sells well has mastered this statement of impact at the front end. It's part of the discipline questioning process. Now, as a sales professional, your goal in carrying out a discipline questioning process is to learn two things about your prospects. If you're a leader listening to this, I need to say to you, your goal in carrying out a discipline questioning process is to learn two things about your sales reps. If you're a leader, I need to say to you, your goal in carrying out a discipline questioning process is to learn two things about your employees. Okay, let's remind you, if as leaders listening to this, that leadership is influencing and influencing is selling. So everybody, whether you're you see yourself as a salesperson or not, has to understand that there's two things that a discipline questioning process yields. Number one, it yields to the salesperson, to the leader, their most important values. So if I'm going to sell well. And by then definition, to do that, I have to listen well. Then I need to learn what the values of a prospect or a client are, their most important values. And I'm telling you right now, less than one out of ten salespeople that I have dealt with who don't know I'm a sales trainer have this aspect of their process even on a radar screen. It is highly rare that this ever takes place. And I want to say to you that as the dollar amount of a transaction increases, the more important it is for the salesperson to know the values that a client has. The higher the amount of money, the higher the sale of the product, the more important it is that you know the emotional values that people have because to buy, to invest, to engage, to, you know, to order is going to be a function of how your products and services give them what they want, their values that are dearly important to them. So some of the sample values that prospects might have are security and peace of mind and fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness and joy. And one of the things you want to do as a salesperson is you want to kind of master a, a questioning process that gets you those values. And so you have questions like what's important to you about being successful? What's important to you about earning more money? What's important to you about maximizing your image? What's important to you about productivity? What's important to you about saving money? What's important to you? The what's important to you question is probably one of the most profound questions you can ever master because it gets you the emotions that people have. What's important to you about safety? What's important to you about making a difference? What's important to you about saving time? What's important to you about profitability? If I'm a salesperson and I'm going to do a great job learning these things, the value is exponential, and let me explain that. 
Firstly, if I understand a prospect's values and I hear them clearly and I understand it and I'm able to, to identify with it, then I'm going to be able to create more trust with that prospect early on before I ask for the business. Secondly, if I know those values, then as I build the relationship, I tie all relationship growth to the values they've told me that they hold and have near and dear to their heart. That's emotional selling, and emotional selling is the best way to sell high-priced products and goods, okay? The second thing that a discipline questioning process gives us is three to five needs that the prospect has in doing business with a salesperson or a salesperson's company. Now, this is important because part of what we believe in doing all of the surveys that we have done as a company, uh, over 50,000 surveys of salespeople, we have learned that the more needs a salesperson identifies that a prospect has, the more the prospect will trust that salesperson. We also have learned that the more time spent identifying needs creates more trust, and the only way you can spend more time identifying more needs is by listening well. So again, three to five needs that they have in doing business with you and your company, and then you'll notice that in your notes it says the rule, and this is where listening takes over. For every need a salesperson discovers, the rule is spend five minutes going deep learning how you must meet that need. If I'm a leader listening to the CD, I want to make sure that I teach my salespeople that most initial sales calls with a higher priced product, goods, or service, or a complex sale, which involves relationships, three to five needs, 20 to 25 minutes, just asking and what? Listening, asking and listening, asking and listening, asking and listening. As listening goes up, Trust goes up and tension goes down. So clients have a lot of needs. There, there, there might be uh, uniquely 20 or 25 different needs they have. Maybe it's a communication need. Maybe it's an accessibility need. Maybe it's a professionalism, knowledge, you know, integrity, delivery. You know, whatever it is, the mistake that most make is they don't go deep enough when a need is exposed. Listening is about going deep, and listening is about getting as much information as you can. So there's three steps to the process of getting the three to five needs, and they're in your notes. Fill this out. You must ascertain the need, and the way the need is ascertained is simply by asking the question, what's important about doing business together to you? So while the values discussion is a little bit more emotional, this is a little bit more logical. And I have seen salespeople that have modified their behavior to start doing this without even really mastering the discipline. And they have found that their sales call productivity doubles and triples within 30 days. Most salespeople don't ascertain the needs. Tom didn't ascertain my travel needs. The guy at Sterling BMW didn't ascertain my car needs. The guy selling Ansel Adams Paints did not ascertain my needs. And none of them got the what? Sale. I know this sounds ultra simple, but you know what? Most salespeople don't have a discipline questioning process that gets them the needs. Now, the second thing we have to do as sales professionals is we have to understand their rules. And their rules are the client's rules. And I'll give you a very simple example, and you can take it from there. But if a client says to me, you know, I, I want to work with a salesperson who has good communication skills, Okay, or who's a good communicator or communications important to me. The great salesperson will say, tell me what great communication looks like to you. Tell me how you will know I'm a great communicator. What are three or four of the things that you would like me to do? 
with you and maybe with your clients if we have a secondary kind of business relationship that would demonstrate I'm a good communicator. Everybody has a different set of rules. And if you want to be a great sales professional, you've got to understand that they'll give you the rules you've got to play by. If somebody says to you they want you to be available, what does that mean? You know, 10 different people could have the same need, but all 10 could have a different definition of what that need means. So in your notes, it says understand the rules. This will help prove you're delivering. And then number three is a simple, simple thing that is ignored by almost every salesperson we've surveyed. Discover the specific benefits the prospect desires to reap from the need being met. Boy, I'll tell you, salespeople will go a lot further if at the end of asking a five-minute questioning process that allows them to go deep with one need, tell me why that need, let's use communication again, is important to you. And whatever the prospect gives the salesperson is one of the emotional things they're looking for in the sales relationship. Tom at Bonaventure Travel didn't know any of the benefits I wanted from a travel agency. Okay, The guy selling the Ansel Adam painting had no clue. What benefit would I be looking at if I even wanted to buy art from him? So this is what we have to master, and this is the discipline we have to really focus on. Rules are learned by asking questions like, how do you define? What would you change? How do you determine? What is your past experience with? How would you improve? What does that look like to you? Uh, again, all, all these questions to any need that's given you. What parameters are critical to you for? What have you found works best for? How do you select? What are your standards for? And what I want to say to you is this, is that as you become a great listener, what this is going to be about more than anything else is engaged dialogue. And if I can start to learn more and more and more and more about why things are important to you, then I can learn how through listening to deliver not only what you want, but even more. And that's what high trust selling is all about. That's what it really means. And when we learn the benefits, as it says in your notes, by asking the question, Mr. Smith, this is very helpful information on communication. Tell me why honest, timely, regular communication is important to you. Well, honest, timely, regular may have been his three rules. He wants honest communication. He wants timely communication. He wants regular communication. Those might be the rules you have to play by. You've defined what each of those mean. But now you're going to ask him, why is that important to you? And maybe he'll say something like this. It gives me peace of mind. Well, here's what all salespeople need to know. They need to know the emotional reasons why people want you to meet their needs. Not only do they want to share with you what their needs are, but they want you to know what kind of emotion they want to experience through the needs being met. So as I sit here and as we transition to the end of this lesson, I, I need you to know that, that obviously I'm kind of going high altitude on a couple of deep processes that are fully explained in our book, High Trust Selling. But I want you to realize that the simple, the simple prescription for poor selling results is to ask more intentional questions and then listen, really listen, listen. And so I obviously have to tell you as a student of sales excellence, what are some of the skills to being a great listener that support this questioning process, okay? I'd like you to begin to master the art of practicing inner silence, okay? Inner silence is engaged focus. It means all the clatter is gone. You and I are together. I'm a sales professional. You're a prospect. I am at peace with what's about to happen. I'm not, what if she doesn't? What if they don't like me? You know, what if this doesn't work? What if they say no? Okay, that's called inner confusion. All right, I want inner silence, which is a peace. And it's peace that only comes from knowing 
that this is the start of the track that we're going to be on, and this is what will happen when it's done. So if you're a leader listening to this, you obviously have to get clear on the fact that if your salespeople do not have inter-silence, inter-peace in a sales call, they are going to be horrible at listening, horrible at listening. Secondly, one of the great pathways to being a great listener is to absolutely forget about the sale. Kind of a paradoxical thought, but if you want to sell more, stop thinking about selling. Okay, and that's really critical. And so we forget about the sale. Number three is you must master the deferring to the speaker. I want you to realize that the pause is one of the most powerful listening tools there is. Salespeople oftentimes like to jump in and start talking and talking and talking. And yet pausing generally gets you even deeper information from the client. The whole idea of, of not even talking until there might, might be a five-second count after the prospect is done saying something, is a powerful listening discipline. So defer to the speaker. Number four, suspend your opinions and avoid emotional biases. Don't be opinionated as a salesperson. That's not what selling is all about. You can have opinions, but do not let them become the filters through which you decide, I like this person or I don't. Obviously, you know enough about high-trust selling if you don't and you need to that you're most of the time, hopefully all the time, going to engage people that you have similar shared thoughts with and similar shared values with and similar shared opinions with. But don't let emotional biases and don't let you know maybe differences of little opinions get in the way. If they're big, then obviously you have an issue. But if they're small, don't let them get in the way. Don't stop thinking. Another thing I like to tell people is listen with your fingers. And what that simply means is be disciplined in the art of note-taking. It doesn't mean that they learn the topographical configuration of your head because you're always tilted down. And for some of you guys, including me, you don't want to do that anyway because it's an ugly look unless it's all gone and then it's just too bright. The idea here is you think about a doctor and you trust the doctor. And what a doctor does is he or she takes what? Notes. But they don't write down everything you say. They're writing down the what? the most important things. And so part of having a discipline questioning process is to have a discipline note-taking process. And what we teach people in our High Trust Academy is the idea of, of literally having a, a process where you're writing down and, and filling out blanks. And one of the neat things that happens is when you say to a prospect things like this, you know, what you're about to say is really important. And I hope you don't mind if I take just a few critical notes so that I'll be able to identify with this not only now, but long after this conversation is over. And most people look at that and say, you know, that's professional, all right? Next, utilize nonverbal listening skills. And two major nonverbal listening skills that all salespeople need to master are eye contact. The death of a sales call is when you don't have eye contact with the prospect. Now, we're not talking about piercing, and we're not talking about trying to take your notes without looking down at your pad. But we are talking about discipline eye contact. And, and here, here's why. The first sign of a disauthentic salesperson is when they're looking at the ceiling or looking down to the edge of the desk while trying to say something important. You know what that message sends to a client? Either you're faking it, okay, you don't know what you're saying, all right, or you don't trust what is being said. But if I look you in the eyes and we connect, it is major from a standpoint of listening, okay? The second thing I want you to, to master, which is nonverbal listening skills, is the idea of mirroring and matching. And mirroring and matching is an advanced neurolinguistic programming technique that uh, maybe some of you have come across in your, in your life. But uh, if you've never done this, uh, do it. It's a very strong listening skill, and that is this. Listening is a function of rapport, right? If we have rapport, then more is said and more can be heard. 
what mirroring and matching is, is becoming like your prospect. So typically, if they might be leaning back and you're leaning forward, you are not in a rapport with them that would you know, get you the most information. You want to lean back. If you don't have a desk and you are in a conference room or a, a lobby and they have their arm on the back of a couch, you may want to have your arm on the back of a couch. And it's not that every time they change, you know, you're trying to catch up with them. But it is, it is being like your prospect, because if you are like your prospect, your prospect likes you. And you can take this into to verbal as well. If they talk fast, talk fast. They talk slow, talk slow. They talk with a lot of emotion, talk with a lot of emotion. Because if you're in rapport, more is said, and when more is said, you can hear more. Okay? So very, very powerful here. And then a couple more here. Really seek to understand. And what I like to tell salespeople is part of how you can really know you're listening is when you say things like this. Let me make sure I understand, okay? And if I can say to a prospect, if I can say to a home buyer, if I can say to a strategic partner, let me make sure I really understand and then just simply repeat it back, that's huge. And one of the things you can also do here, depending on whether or not you get the prospect's permission, is you can actually record your meetings and you can record your sales calls. One of the powerful things about recording a sales call is when you play it back, it will only take you five or six calls to realize where you're blowing it as a salesperson. If you say to a client, you know, I brought along a little recorder here. What we're about to talk about could be the start of a 20-year relationship. I'm going to take some good notes, but I also like to, with your permission, just record this because I'm going to spend a couple hours later on today going back through the recording to make sure I've heard everything that's important to you. Would that be okay? And you record it, and then you spend some time just, wow, how did I do? And evaluate how much time, stop watching, how much time were you talking, how much time were you listening? You know, that'd be a huge thing for you to discern. Very, very powerful. And then finally, listen again. And what listening again means, and you might want to just jot down in your notes, at the end of the questioning process, summarize everything. Okay, so as you go through it, let me make sure I understand. At the end of the questioning process, before you actually offer any solution, simply restate everything and do it a little bit quickly. But as I understand your needs, here are the three things you've told me that are important. Ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. Now, beyond this, I would ask all of you to maybe do a Google search and go out and look for some listening tools. Go out and look for some stuff that can really help you become a world-class sales professional because, man, this is critical. I believe that there's a direct relationship between how much money you make how little time it takes to make it, and how good of a listener you are. And I think you'll find that as we go forward. Well, as we wrap this up, what are the real benefits? I mean, what are the real benefits to you becoming a world-class listener? Okay, let's go ahead and write in seven things quickly. You'll get them and you'll understand it. You'll be able to reflect on it later. Number one, if you're a great listener, you have increased selling confidence. If I listen well, my selling confidence goes up because it's impossible to fail as a salesperson if you what? If you listen. Okay, number two is increased sales efficiency and productivity. What does that mean? Less hours worked, higher conversion, more people saying yes, fewer people saying no, less objections, less stalls, less I want to think it over, less, you know, any of the delays that happen. Your sales efficiency goes up, your productivity goes up. Number three, if those things are happening, selling confidence, efficiency, and productivity, you will have increased customer satisfaction. And in today's world of all products and services kind of reaching this level of a a commodity kind of deal, customer satisfaction is critical. It's the gateway to loyalty, in fact. And number four would be increased client loyalty. 
Okay, so three is first customer satisfaction, four then is the result of number three, and that's loyalty. And then because your clients are loyal and you're listening the right way, you'll do the things that meet needs long term, which means you'll have improved client retention. And if I have, because I'm a great listener, improved client retention, then by definition, I'll have increased repeat business. So you can see the thread that's operating here. I mean, listening is the key. And if I have more repeat business, I have more trust going with the clients I serve, which gives me an increase, a dramatic increase in unsolicited referrals. So I want to be a world-class listener. How about you? Do you want to be a world-class listener? I think the answer is obviously yes. In my opinion, as a sales trainer and a guy that's looked across the country at thousands of people that do it the wrong way, let me simply leave you with this thought. If you could, for the next 30 to 90 days, focus in on simply listening, using everything you've learned in the last 50 minutes, I'm telling you, your sales productivity would jump dramatically. If you're a leader listening to this, I would meet with every one of my salespeople as a group right now, and those salespersons, I would get together, and I would make sure that we listen to the CD together so that we can all answer together in group format, how can we be better listeners today? As your listening goes up, your selling effectiveness goes up. And when your selling effectiveness goes up, your selling self-esteem goes up. And when your selling self-esteem goes up, you can sell to anyone. 